invite you to stand as we come uh, to our sermon text this morning, uh, which comes to us once more from the uh, book of Acts. Again, this uh, second uh, book of, uh, that Luke has given to Theophilus. Let us stand as we read uh, from Acts uh, chapter 8, beginning at verse 9. Again, hear the word of the Lord. But there was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed, to the least of the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. And Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, You have given to us once more these words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And dear God, we pray through the same power of the Holy Spirit, that you would apply them unto our hearts, that we might live lives of love and understanding. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. As we come to this passage this morning, we see here, of course, that Philip has continued to do his work. He has continued to go around the cities of Samaria preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last week we heard how Philip had gone down and he had preached to them and multitudes had heard uh, these good words and they had seen the miracles which he did. We saw as unclean spirits cried with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. We saw as many who were paralyzed, and the lame were healed. And we heard that there was great joy in that city. And now we have 
from the hand of Luke, a story that took place while Philip is preaching. And we've seen Luke do this before where he will uh, give us kind of a general statement about things going on in a place and next he'll turn to a specific instant that goes on uh, during this general time to help us understand what exactly it looked like. You know, a lot of times we were ourselves kind of give a general representation of events and then we'll kind of give an example, uh, a story to help others kind of understand uh, the details of what has gone on. And that's what Luke is doing here. We see, again, as Philip is preaching, he has a man come to him. And Luke gives us a little bit of background on this man. Now, why would Luke do that? You know, why would he tell us what Simon did in his life? Well, of course, it shouldn't be any surprising thing to us to see sorcerers come to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, if the New Testament is anything, it is a testimony to sinners becoming Christians. It is a testimony to those who are outside the kingdom of God becoming members of the kingdom of God. In fact, Simon's not even the first sorcerer to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he won't be the last one who we're told believes in the preaching of the apostles. But Simon is given to us by Luke as a pertinent example of evangelism gone wrong. Oftentimes we see, of course, the preaching of the gospel and we see the receiving of great joy and we see the thousands coming to faith and we see all these amazing things taking place. But Luke wants us to see something about the nature of evil. He wants us to see something about the nature of hypocrisy. And most especially, he wants to show us an example of false belief. Of a man who testifies with his lips that he believes on Jesus, but shows by the fruit of his life that he has no idea of what he speaks. And of course, Simon's not the first one that we've seen like this. The ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ was filled with these things. Last week we talked about John chapter 6, which is kind of the the, the most uh, exuberant example of this. Where you had these men and women see Jesus doing wonders, and they wanted to follow this wonder worker. And as Jesus turns to them and challenges them, what do we see? We see them go away because they did not want the Jesus of the Scriptures. They wanted the Jesus of their own imagination. They they wanted a Jesus who helped them in material ways. And Simon is no different. But what makes Simon such an important example for Christians today and for, and for us to kind of take stock of in our own lives is again what we see Simon say to Peter in verse 24. 
And we hear Simon as he's heard Peter calling him to repentance, calling him uh, to turn away from his wickedness. And we hear Simon say in verse 24, And Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. And we see that this man Simon uh, is afraid of hell. He's afraid of the consequences of sin. He's afraid of all the right things. His interest here, first of all, is obviously in the wonder. Right? He's a sorcerer. He, he knows what amazing things can be done. Because it's important for us to remember in our own day, we kind of live in a world that denies the spiritual world. We sometimes do it practically, maybe not intentionally, but even we can fall into this trap where we deny the spiritual world that's around us. But the Bible is clear that there are evil spirits uh, around in the world. That the devil himself is actively involved in leading men astray. And sometimes it takes the form of what we see of Simon. Again, these works of sorcery. Again, it's important for us to understand that Simon is not just a good uh, a, a trick player. You know, he's not kind of the David Blaine of, Act, of Acts chapter 8. right? He's not just using sleight of hand. He's a man who has access to these dark powers, to these dark spirits, and he's able to do these things. Just as the sorcerers of the Old Testament were able to do these things because they had, again, this demonic power within them. And so these signs and wonders that are going on, again, just as they are in this wicked way with Simon, are just the same in the good way that we see the signs and wonders of the apostles. And when, uh, when, 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 when Peter raises a, uh, a man from the dead... Again, it's not because Peter has some kind of medical knowledge that no one else has. And so he, he, he gets this man out of a coma and then tells everybody he was dead. No, the man was really dead and Peter really rose him from the dead. Just as, of course, we see with this man Simon that he had been involved in uh, these kinds of uh, wicked, kind of witchcraft kind of things. It's one of the reasons why the Bible tells us not to involve ourselves in those kinds of things. Again, it's because they're real. And they are really to be avoided. Because they're dangerous. And so what we see in this passage, again, is a real problem. What we see in this passage is a real reminder that this is not a game that we are playing. But this is a fight against the forces of darkness, against the forces of the evil one. And what we see in this passage again is Simon who uh, knows that these things are real. And what he sees again is this fear of that which is to come. But the problem with Simon again is that he does not see the answer for the troubles that face him. He doesn't understand that what faith means is not merely, if I believe in Jesus, I don't go to hell. Because that's not what faith is. Faith is not just that kind of blind hope that we don't end up in the place of eternal punishment. 
What we see in this passage is a reminder that faith is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That faith is a whole resting and trusting in the Lord of heaven and earth. A love of Jesus for who Jesus is. That true faith is not just uh, resting in the things Jesus does, but resting in Jesus as He is, as the second person of the Holy Trinity. Again, there's a difference here that we see in Simon uh, that, uh, that, that unfortunately often can find itself in the church. That when you, when you speak to people, you, you, you see that that faith is merely a, 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 a faith that is not only skin deep, but a faith that's in the wrong things. And that's, again, one of the things that Luke is doing in this passage is he's showing the difference between those who truly rest and trust in Christ and those who are doing so merely because they are afraid of life after death. And let's begin there this morning as we look at this passage. Again, in verse 9, uh, we see, of course, again, Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed and the least of the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. Now again, remember what I said about this man being a sorcerer. This man who has the power over demons, who has the, the power to do these works. What do we see here that the Samaritans understand of his message? And who is he saying he's doing this for? Is Simon out running around claiming to do these works for Satan? Well, no. What is he claiming to do these works for? God. Now again, this isn't just kind of a general statement that the Samaritans are, are, are saying that, that he's doing these things in the name of a God. But of course, when we see the name God capitalized in our Bibles, uh, the publishers are helping us understand the passage. That he is claiming to do these things in the name of Jehovah. But how does Luke call him? Luke calls him a sorcerer. Sorcerers are never good in the Bible. You know, there aren't good sorcerers and bad sorcerers. Sorcerers are always workers of the evil one. And again, it's important as we read the Bible to pay attention to the context clues that the writers of the Bible are giving us. Because they want us to understand what they're writing. So we have this Simon who's claiming to do mighty works in the name of God. But who's he really doing it for? He's really doing it for, uh, for evil, for Satan. And he has this power and he's astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great. Again, Luke, as we've seen before, has a way about himself. He, he has kind of a, a, a snarky uh, sense of humor sometimes. And we see that in this passage, right? Because Simon claims that he's great. But what do we know? Again, we're reading this with the knowledge that we've, been, we've received from the Holy Spirit. We know that Simon is not great. That Simon has no actual uh, real authority. Again, he thinks himself to be great, uh, but what does the Bible tell us about those who think they are great? Again, those who think that they are first, what will they be? They will be last. And those who are last will be first. Again, this is a statement about this man's character. About who he understands about himself. And so, as we hear him, 
And we see again that Philip is preaching things concerning the kingdom of God. And we see that men and women are coming to faith. And in verse 13 it says, Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip, and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Really, this is the only verse we need really to, to understand this passage because we hear that this man comes to faith, right? He believes in what Philip is teaching, right? And he is baptized as any uh, adult convert who has not been previously baptized should be baptized. And what do we see is the fruit of the baptism of, uh, of, of Simon. Simon himself believed and was baptized because he with Philip and was amazed. What was he amazed by? Again, Luke here is helping us understand the problem. Is he amazed by Jesus Christ? Is he amazed by the cross? Is he amazed by the empty tomb? No, Simon is amazed by the miracles and signs which were done. And again, we're meant to think about that. We're meant to take a moment and, and kind of think about our own place and our own understanding of our faith. Again, are we amazed at the signs or are we amazed at Jesus Christ? Again, when we think about our own testimonies, again, do we stand at the foot of the cross and stand amazed at the work of the God-man? That He has died for our sins. Or do we stand amazed at the fact that we get out of going to hell? Again, there's a big difference between those two kinds of faith. And that's witnessed to us again in this passage. Again, when we understand the nature of the Christian faith, of the nature of the faith that Jesus Christ has presented to us in the Gospels, again, we need to understand again this place that we have now. When we think of, of the, uh, the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians, again, he, in the book of Galatians, he's dealing with this same problem. Now, he's dealing with Judaizers who are teaching uh, the people that to be Christians, that they not only have to believe in Jesus, but they also have to be good Jews, right? That they have to circumcise their children on the eighth day, that they have to keep kosher, that they have to do all of these things. That's what you have to do, again, to be a Christian in the eye of the Judaizer. And what does Paul do over and over again when he is refuting their claims? He continues to point the people of Galatia to this reality. In Galatians 3.27 it says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Again, their faith is not, again, in uh, the work of Christ, but in Christ Himself. Again, they are identified with Christ. They belong to Christ. They are Christ. And so when they are confronted with the false teachings of the, uh, of the Judaizers, what should their response be? Their response should always be that I belong body and soul to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ has told me that... To be saved, what do I have to do? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and do these things and then you'll be saved. And again, that's part of the problem we see here with Simon. Again, he is identifying faith with these wonders and these works. 
And we see him as, as he continues in his false understanding of things. That, and we see this take place when, when Peter and John come to kind of check out things here in Samaria. And why are they coming to check things out? Is it because Peter and John are like, well, I don't know about this Philip guy. I better go check on him, make sure he's doing things right. You know, you know, this isn't the case where kind of corporate is sending somebody to the local plant to make sure things are going right. You know, that's not how the New Testament church is set up, right? We don't, we don't do that. Right? We, we don't require somebody from Presbytery to come check up on us in that way. Again, that's not the purpose of these things. That's not why Peter and John are here. Peter and John are here to rejoice with Philip, the work being done in Samaria. And so they come and they see and they hear Philip uh, talk about these things and they recognize uh, that uh, they have not received uh, the Holy Spirit. Now, it's important again to understand what is going on here. Because it, if, you, if we miss this, again, we misunderstand everything in this story. Now, what is the problem? The problem is not that the Samaritans have not received the second blessing. The problem isn't that the Samaritans don't have a full faith. If the Samaritans had died before Peter and John arrived, they would have gone to heaven. What this is saying here is that they had not uh, received the gifts of the Holy Spirit. What this is saying is, is that the Samaritans had not began to speak in tongues or to heal or to do any of those New Testament spiritual gifts. Just like Philip had been engaged in those, uh, as it says here, miracles and signs. You know, that's what the giving of the Holy Spirit represents here. Again, it's, it's not pointing to the fact that they have, are not full faith yet. As if they needed something extra more than the preaching of the gospel. And so the laying on of hands here, again, is the sign of this reality. Again, the, the, the laying on of hands uh, throughout the Old Covenant was a sign of those people being anointed. You look back and when Elisha is, is made a prophet, what does uh, Elijah do? Right? He puts the cloak over him. Right, And, and that's the laying on of hands. That's, that's what the sign is there. And in the New Testament, this laying on of hands was a sign of the giving of the Holy Spirit, of these spiritual gifts. Now, one thing needs to be said as almost kind of an aside here, but what we see and need to be reminded of is that these gifts were for that time. And we do not believe that these special gifts have continued since the end of the apostolic age. Again, none of us can speak in tongues. None of us can heal people by the laying on of hands. Again, these were given for the time of the early church in order to establish the authority of the apostles. And having the completion of the canon, the full revelation of God, those signs are no longer necessary. But here in the first century, here in Samaria, Peter and John come and lay hands. And the Holy Spirit comes and they are given these spiritual gifts. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. Now, think about this scene here again. It is most assuredly the case that Peter and John laid hands on Simon. 
Because it's not as if they went around and said, uh, I'll lay hands on you, 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 and you. No, they went around and laid hands on the Samaritans. And so they laid hands on Simon. And guess what didn't happen to Simon that happened to everybody else? Simon didn't get the spiritual gifts. He was not speaking in tongues and he was not uh, given uh, these sign gifts. And what do you think the reason for that was? Why did Simon not get to do these signs and wonders? Because what did Simon, first of all, want to do with these signs and wonders? Was his goal to serve the Lord Jesus Christ? Was his goal to bring glory to God? To reach men and women with the good news of salvation? With the words of redemption? Now, what do you think Simon intended to do? The same thing that he had been doing prior to his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, just as it says there at the beginning that he astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, well, he was going to exchange one set of signs and wonders for another. He's the kind of person who kind of changes with the wind. He looks around and sees what's cool, what's what's hip or, or, or whatever. And he says, okay, well, I'll start doing that. Because that's, that, that's what's going to get me fame. That's what's going to get me uh, the, uh, the, 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 the words of, uh, of greatness in the culture. And so he says, okay, the Samaritans no longer are kind of falling for my sorcery. So why don't I start doing the works that the apostles are doing? You know, that sounds like a good business plan. And that's his intention throughout this story. And that's one of the things we see about this false faith. Is that he has no testimony of his own to understand the nature of the gospel. Because again, what power do these sign gifts have to someone who does not believe in the Lord Jesus? Well, they have no power because he cannot receive the Holy Spirit. Again, can God dwell in tents of wickedness? Can the Holy Spirit indwell that which is evil? Well, of course not. We, we, we believe that Scriptures teach that. Again, what has to happen to us before uh, we are indwelt? We have to be washed by the blood of the Lamb. We have to be made clean. We have to be made new creatures before we can be united to Christ by faith. And that's what we see here again uh, with uh, this sorcerer, with this man. Is that he has no understanding of the Gospel. You know, he might say with his lips, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I believe He died for my sins. I, I, I believe these things. And, and I, I'll, I'm more than be happy to get baptized. And he gets baptized. Now, do you think Philip would have baptized somebody who was kind of, you know, acted in that way about his faith? you think he would have just kind of said, okay, you say you believe in Jesus, well, I'll baptize you. No, that's, that's most certainly not what happened here. What we see is a man who not only has deceived himself, but he has deceived the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows what words to use. He knows how to act. He knows how to do all these things. But the second he gains entrance into the kingdom of God, what does he act like? He acts like a usurper. He acts like a man who is still in rebellion against the Lord God. Again, what we see here is a testimony of exactly what we've said before, of a man of false faith, a man who has no understanding of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because his fruits, again, are the fruits of darkness. 
The fruits of unbelief. The fruits of evil. A man who merely wants God so he can use him for his own benefit. But again, what do we see from the faithful here in Samaria? What did we see there at the end of last week in verse 7? For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and the lame were healed and there was great joy in that city. Is there much joy in Simon? How, how do we leave Simon in this passage? And what does it say there in verse 24? And then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may have come upon me. And is, is, is that the voice of joy? Is that the voice of, of gladness, of happiness, of rejoicing in the work of salvation? This is a man who's afraid of the future. This is a man who, who understands the consequences of sin, the consequences of death. But is he afraid enough to believe in Jesus? Oh. Again, this is a man who is going to go to his grave in fear of what is to come. This is a man who is going to go to the grave you know, without any hope, any comfort, any peace in his soul. But he was baptized. You know, he confessed Christ at one point in his life. But what were the fruits of that faith? And as we close this morning, that's a question again that each one of us has to ask ourselves. Again, what is the fruit of our faith? What is the fruit of our testimony in the Lord Jesus Christ? Again, we see in the New Testament other examples like this. And you remember in 2 Timothy 4.10, we hear of Demas who has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Remember what Paul said about Demas in Colossians chapter 3? He recommended Demas to the church at Colossae. He said he was a wonderful guy. But what has he done? He has abandoned the faith for this present world. And that's a decision that each one of us has to make from day to day. Do we love this present world? Do we love the things of this world? Do we love them more than we love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we love sin more than we love our Savior? And that's why Jesus in Mark 7 will say, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out. Because what is the nature of a redeemed man? A redeemed man has a heart after the Lord our God. Does that mean a redeemed man never sins? Does that mean a redeemed man never falls short? That a redeemed man never, uh, never uh, turns away for a moment? Of course, why does God say that David is a man after his own heart? Because David, when he is confronted uh, like Simon is here, what is his response to Nathan? His response is not to go to Nathan and say, Hey, Nathan, yeah, I really messed up. Why don't you go sacrifice an animal for me? Is that how David responds to Nathan saying, Thou art the man? What do we see David do? We see David repent in sackcloth and ashes. We, we see David in Psalm 51 say, Against you and you alone have I sinned. Again, create in me a clean heart, O God. And this reaction that we see from Simon, again, is a warning to each one of us. It's a warning uh, that we need to take seriously. And it's a warning we need uh, to take to heart. Again, do we love the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do we love what the Lord Jesus Christ can do for us? And as we close this morning, again, let us remember the good words that we have received in the Holy Scriptures. 
As Paul tells us in Titus, it's not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, grace be unto you. Peace be multiplied. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him. That the body of sin might be done away with. That we should be no longer slaves of sin, but servants of righteousness. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father.